is just so good to be able to say to God, I need you. And just know that he's there and he listens and he cares and he wants to be involved in whatever you're dealing with. And with God, what's possible? All things are possible, so we don't have to sweat it. Amen? God's a good God. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us online. If you just turn and wave to somebody and you can be seated. We're waving to you at home. Thanks for connecting. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. I am so glad to be here. Debbie and I had a great time with family. And, and I have to tell you that um, we, experienced, <clears throat> we experienced a miracle. And I will in the future be telling you about this because it, it is something that only God could do. But it was, Debbie and I just, just walked together and, and just remarked on how faithful God is. You know, when you stand and believe for something that seems impossible and you keep standing because, you know, like we sang, God is faithful. You know, the Bible says that God is faithful even when we're faithless. And there are times in all of our lives that we go through situations and we're believing God and we've got what the Scripture says and we're tenaciously holding on by faith and, and expecting to see uh, what we don't currently see. We, we believe God's going to do it. But there are times we grow tired. And, and it gets difficult to hold on. You know, those are the times where at least Debbie and I have found that um, God is so gracious and so merciful and, and doesn't, doesn't call us out, but he calls us close. And he's willing to hold us when we can't even hold ourselves. And through all this, we have, we have been just shouldn't be but are amazed by God's goodness. God is so good. And uh, I just want to say thank you uh, to Jeremy uh, for the message that God had him share. It was a great message. Uh, not my will. Debbie and I were watching the, the message, and, and uh, I, was, I was encouraged by it. I was challenged by it, which both should be happening. Whenever we hear God's word, we should be encouraged by God's word. But there also should be a challenge. There should be a dynamic that we find that there may be some adjustments we need to make to align ourselves more completely with, with God and what he has. Um, but one thing that he, he spoke about that really caught my attention, along with the other good points, was he, he referred to Ecclesiastes, how two are better than one and a threefold cord is not easily broken. And then he said, uh, it's very important for us to be surrounded by believers, connected and united. And, uh, and that's so true. And I have to tell you that that... When I heard that, knowing what God was going to have me start into this week, I was like, God, you're so good. Jeremy, thanks for being right on with God. Because God is always setting us up. How many of you know every setup isn't a good one? Right? Sometimes you get set up and it's like, oh, man, I should have seen it coming. But when God sets you up, the only way and the only reason God sets you up is for good, for you to experience even more of what he has ordained for you. And if we'll be uh, available and willing to receive what he has, then he's going to take us and continue to take us and progress us from glory to glory. And, and 
Um, so today, we're going to build on that. Uh, but before we do, I, I, I just want to ask you some questions. I need help, and you know that I'm always going to ask questions. Some of them are real obvious. I'm not trying to trick anybody or, or cause anybody to feel like they don't know what they're doing. But uh, this one, anybody can answer, all right? So in the times we're living in, they've been kind of different, right? For the last at least year. But over the course of the last 10 years, we've watched some changes go on. And in the last year and, and recently, uh, I'm just asking you to think about a word, just a word that you could use to kind of describe um, what's going on. So what, what words come to mind when you look at what our society, our country, our world is like? Okay, we've got chaotic, not stable, crazy, confusion. Okay, I got a bunch at the same time. What? Okay, end times. What else? Division. Well, I have to tell you, I, I really, I, I considered having a whiteboard up here to write down all this stuff, but we don't have enough whiteboards to put everything down that we would put up there. And as I sat and thought about this, I, I really began to look at our society as a whole, our world as a whole, but also not just our country, our state, our city, our families, businesses. And, and this one word kept coming back, and I heard it. Somebody said it. Thank you for saying it. Thank you all for your participation. I appreciate it. Uh, but that was the word divided. You know, we're seeing so much division, so much animosity, so much aggression towards each other. And supposedly we have the Olympics coming, right? And historically, when the Olympics occur, when our team is participating in whatever endeavor it is, you'll hear a chant. Anybody remember what that chant is? Yeah, U USA. It's done just like that, USA. Is that the way they do it? How, how does, you know, I've, I've been in situations where, uh, in competitions where America was competing against other countries, and people are just emphatic about USA. But as I thought about that, what, do, what does USA stand for? United States of America. But are we? And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, we're, gonna, we're probably going to be yelling that. I, I don't know about you, all right? I'll just tell you. I'm, I get into things, and, and there are times where I'll, I'll yell USA at home watching the TV of the American teams doing what they're doing because I just want to see us do well. Um, and when I thought about that, I thought, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say USA because the U.S. has kind of left the A. We have kind of left and just divided ourselves in America. And we're known for that. Our motto, the, the, the country motto is E Pluribus Unum. Out of many, one. When, when people hear 
United States of America, when they hear our motto, do they see it in us? No. No, we're, we're dealing with so much division. And it's, it's, it's really damaging. It's destructive. Um, and it's so opposite of God. When you have a country or a city or a state or a family that's divided, what do they need? Truth is, they need God because of who God is and what he does. God, our God, is a God of unity. He's a God that unites. He's not a God that divides. He unites. He's looking to unite people, but in the best possible way. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we see the very nature of God, who he is, and how he is a united God and a God, a God of unity and a God who unites. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with this in, in the time of creation. He, he comes to the place where he's going to make man. And he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There are three words there that are very key for us to understand who God is and what he does. The words are us, are, and are. When he says, let us, who's he talking about? The Trinity, right, three in one, each separate, unique, but the same. How's that happen? I don't know. It's too big for my brain. But I see it in the word, and I see it in God's character, and I see it in what God wants to do in his kingdom. And so right here he says, let us, we're going to join together. We united are going to join together to make man in what? Our image. So he's saying, I'm going to, I am united, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We're going to unitedly make man in our image to be able to unite with him and him with us. See, that's what God does. God is a God that unites. He's a God that is united. He's a God of unity. And he unites. He puts things back together again. And, and according to our likeness. Now, understand that there was unity in creation until what happened? Anybody know? Until sin. That's right. That's like uh, Adam's sin. Sin came in. And what was the result of sin? Death. But how did it come? It came through division. Right? The moment sin happened... Man was divided from God. And in that moment, Adam looks at God and he says, God, it's this woman that you gave me. Right? So the only two that are there with Adam, he points at and says, you're the problem, you're the problem. And so how did that affect him in his relationship with God and his wife? It was, it was divided. All of a sudden, he's pushing his wife back. He's pushing God back. And where is Adam? What's going on with Adam? He's there among people, but he's alone. And you know, that's one of the biggest challenges of people today. They're among other people, but they feel so isolated and alone. And if our society is dealing with division, it's the work of the enemy. 
Because where there's division, there is loss. There's, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we see the enemy bringing all this division over seemingly very important things. But I'm going to tell you something. If you take into consideration what we're being divided over, is it going to be an issue in heaven? That ought, to, that ought to be a clear indicator that it shouldn't be an issue here. And we're, we're going to see this. But the we of America has been turned upside down to be me. It's all about me. And because we become selfish, we have no need for anybody else except for the purpose they would serve us. And so a divided nation, a divided country, a divided home, a divided city needs a God of unity that unites and a united church. But the problem is that today society doesn't see a whole lot different around them out there than what's going on in the church. And the reason for that is because we're... we're not keeping the most important thing the most important thing. We're majoring on minors. We're trying to deal with splinters in people's eyes when we have planks in our own eyes. And uh, I want to ask you a really important question. Have any of you sensed that God wants to bring revival. I think all of God's kids today, people that love God have this just, I don't know how to explain it, but it's a sense, it's a knowing in your knower that, that there's revival. The Bible tells us that there's going to be revival. That there's going to be a revival in these days that is going to exceed anything ever seen in the history of the earth. That more people are going to come to the Lord. And I believe that with all my heart, but I have to tell you, we are so far from it. As much as I want to believe it's right here, there's something that we're missing. That without it, revival is impossible. And that's unity. Without unity, revival will never occur. And it's unity in two different directions. All right, and I'm just going to quickly lay this out for you, and we're going to get into seeing what God says about unity and about division. But, but unity is required before revival. We see it, just an example, is the upper room. The disciples were in one place with one accord, and all of a sudden the power of God was poured out, and they began to affect and influence the people all around them. And there were great numbers of people that came to salvation. But when we talk about unity, there's unity towards God that has to happen first in revival, which comes in the form of repentance. We turn away from where we've been going, our own way, doing our own thing. Just like we heard last week, Jeremy, teach about not my will be done. We have to get out of our own wills. We got to get out of our way. We got to get into God's way. So we repent, we turn away from the sin and selfishness we've been following, and then we realign with God. 
We, we get in step with God. We do what God has for us to do, and we, we move into the realm of service and selflessness. And then we recommit to God. Realign things so that we are, are causing our priorities to be God's priorities. Then there's a, a, a unity that comes with people. Because we become united with God, which would cause us then to be able to be united with other people. And that's where we reconnect in the body of Christ with believers. We restore relationships because how many of you know you can sit with other believers and not really have any connection? Happens here all the time. Happens in churches all the time. And it's, it's just the opposite of what we heard this morning by Taylor. Taylor said that he and Shelby were the beneficiaries of people... Connecting with, connected with God, connected in a body, being able to connect with them and, and reconnect and, and restore relationship through that relationship. And in that, God's revealed. We begin to reveal God. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by what? Your love one for another. When, when we connect with God and the love of God begins to fill our lives and, and become the priority of our lives, that we love God and we love people, Jesus said, they're going to see me. Just like when Jesus said, and he was asked, show us the Father, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It should be said of us, if they've seen us, they've seen Jesus. But are they? Because I think too often we're falling prey to this division. And we're being used, deceptively used by the enemy to hinder revival. And I can't do anything about what you do, but I can do something about what I do. God's given me a project, and it's not Debbie. And God's given each of us a project, and it's not somebody else. It's us. This is where we start. That's why the Bible says, before you try and take the splinter out of your brother's eye, take the beam out of your own eye. That's a clear indication that whatever you're seeing operating in somebody else's life, it's already operating in yours and probably bigger than what's in theirs. And take a look in the mirror before you take a look out there. But it's real easy to correct other people, isn't it? And it's more challenging for us to deal with ourselves. And then once, once Jesus is revealed, we begin to reach people for the Lord. And that's why God, God has commanded us to love. Jesus commanded us to love. What was his commandment? The first, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we also were told we need to love our enemies. So there's no one, no matter what, that we are ever not to love, which means we're to love everybody all the time. That doesn't mean we agree with what they're doing. But we cannot just toss them aside and say, you're worthless. Because the reality is they're made in the image of God. And if we don't see that more than we see their flaws and their failures, then we're failing. 
Because the truth is, for each one of us, in all our sin, all our trespasses, when we were enemies of God, God loved us and sent his son to die for us. And if that's what we've received from God, that's what we're supposed to be giving to others. And walking in this love that brings a unity. Now, it doesn't mean agreement. You can be united with somebody without agreeing in everything. But in our society in these days, there is a, a tendency to say, if you don't agree with me, I don't need you. You're worthless. And that's absolutely opposite of what the Bible says. We need. We need everyone. Because God created everyone, and we're believing for everyone to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. But in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at this this morning in the New Living Translation in the voice. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes this. Uh, he says, make every effort. What kind of effort? Every effort. What does that leave out? What, where can we draw the line and say, I don't want to do that. I, I don't have to do that. Is there a line there that we can draw? I, I'm, I'm asking you because... It's important that we really digest this and we make it personal that I can't, if I don't like something, I can't say, well, I'm not going to do it unless I am determined not to be a part of what God wants to do. I disqualify myself when I do that. So it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So we're united in the spirit. I'm going to tell you there are going to be all sorts of things that, that we're going to be going to heaven and finding out, gee, we did that right. But we're also going to find out we did some things wrong. Everybody in this room, everybody at home, everybody everywhere is going to find out we did some things wrong. And when you've done things wrong, how do you want God to react to you? You want him to be critical and judgmental and condemning? Or do you want him to be merciful? I've thought about this a lot. This message is not a message that I just got. This is a message that has been going over and over in me for, in parts for years. And just recently, if I had a release to be able to begin to share this, but I think it's because it's critical. It is critical to every child of God that is really serious, not... not mouthing words, but really serious, saying, I, God, I want revival. I want to see your glory. But you know what? The Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. The more we're united with God, the more the glory of God is going to be revealed. When God has his way, he's seen. But for him to have his way, we have to yield to him. We have to want his will more than ours, his ways more than ours. But we're to be united in the spirit. There are going to be all sorts of things we don't agree about. Do you know that there are going to be Republicans in heaven? Democrats in heaven? Nope. The only ones that are going to be in heaven are Christians. We're not going to talk about 
or politics. Do you know we're probably not going to get to heaven and talk about uh, what great vacations we had. We're not going to talk about our houses. We're not going to talk about our cars. We're not going to talk about our raises. We're not going to get to heaven and say, you should have seen the round of golf I played. It was amazing. We're not going to talk about the Jets or the Giants or the Yankees. I know some of you are like, I'm out of here now. <laughs> Why? That's right. It's not going to be important. And the truth is, if it's not important there, don't make it that important here. That it brings a division, that it causes us to back away from the very people God has for us to connect with. Uniting yourself, binding yourselves together in peace. That word peace, you know it, I've shared it with you. It's the word irene. It means to set it one again. Because there are so many things trying to pull us apart, trying to divide us. Because we know, we know. What, 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 what's the result of division? A house divided, a kingdom divided, a city divided against itself will not stand. Right? So this is the way the enemy has effectively caused us not to embrace what God has so that it's going to hinder revival. It can't stop revival. God's going to have revival. He's going to find people that are going to determine to have his will done in their lives, going to determine to be united with people that are different than them. Even if they don't agree, they're still united over the one main thing, and that is Jesus is Lord and that we're to walk in love towards God and towards other people. The voice translation says this. Make every effort to preserve. You notice in the first one, every effort to keep. It's something that's already ours. When we come to Christ, we're united in a way that we have never been before. That's one of the reasons why when Jesus said, I'm leaving to go to the Father, but it's better for you because I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to live in you. My Father and I are going to come to make our home in you through the person of Holy Spirit. And we are now more united than blood. Our blood family, we should be close to them. But I'm telling you that the body of Christ, the family you're now in, is going to last in relationship a lot longer than blood family unless they're saved. And we're believing for all our family members to be saved. And I'm telling you, God's able to do it. But one of the ways our families come to Christ is to see Christ in us, to see the love of God in us, to see us being able to disagree agreeably with them, to value them in spite of what they do, we don't agree with. Because God did that with us. We're just showing them what God has shown us. Another, another scripture that bears this out is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says, I, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of Jesus Christ. So is he casually saying, hey, I want to share something with you? Is that what this is about? No. He says, by the authority of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is, this is not just a suggestion. 
This should be a priority. This should be really, really up there and important. He says, live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. When I read these things, I think about God. I think about God and, and how, how heartbroken, how hurt he must be when he looks at what's going on. What's going on in the world is breaking his heart. It's not what he intended. This is the result of sin. And yet there is a remedy for sin. There's a provision, and that's Jesus. But they're never going to see it. People out there that are living and said dead in their trespasses and sins, just like we were, are never going to see what they need until we become united with God in a very, very real way and united with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. No divisions in the church. Well, I believe this. Well, I don't believe this. Well, I have no need of you. You're an idiot anyways. When we say that about another human being, these people, every one of them, is made in the image of God. And it would be far better for us to recognize God created this person. God loves this person. Jesus died for that person, no matter what they're doing, than us judging and condemning. Because our judgment, our condemnation, the Bible says Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. That's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. When we are being good, walking the way God wants us to, when we are loving God and we're loving each other, that is going to draw people. You're not going to have to force anybody to want to come to the Lord. People are looking today. They are longing for, they're searching for places where somebody's going to care about them. Somebody's going to value them. Somebody's not going to judge them, not going to condemn them but going to believe in them and try and help them. When you can come to a place where people care about each other, just like Taylor said. You know, I, I can't imagine how many people may hear that of what happened with Taylor and Shelby and how even in the midst of all this that it was a little more uh, work to do to get this to work out for this shower to happen as people drove by but that they had this great outpouring. How many people would, would think, gosh, I wish that would happen to me? I wish somebody would care for me that way. This is what the world's waiting for. This is what God's waiting for. And God's, God's waiting for us to get in line where there'd be no divisions. We live in harmony, united. Be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. United in thought and purpose. Are you kidding me, Lord? There are so many thoughts we have, so many purposes we have. But that's a clear indication. All the things that we want are not all the things that God wants. And if we'll do what God wants, he'll take care of the rest.
And why, why, why is this so important? In Psalm 133, it's one of the shortest psalms there is. Three verses. It says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I don't want to belabor this point, but I think it's necessary for us just to reconsider it again. As a parent, I don't know how many of you are parents, or you don't even have to be a parent. If you have people that you love, how does it affect you when they're at odds? When they're not getting along, when they're being ugly to each other, when, when they're, they're hurting each other, Man, it just rips your heart out. But how great is it when your family or your friends are really getting along? I'm going to be real transparent this morning. As a kid growing up, my family had its challenges, but I think every family does. And there were times when we would, we would get together because we had to. Holidays. And... We knew we were supposed to be together, but when we got together, things didn't go real well with everybody. Now, I, I'm not saying one person was the problem. One person did something, another person decided to do something else, and then it just kept going back and forth, and people got upset with each other. And they were, they were very overly sensitive and thinking the worst of each other. And so invariably, in these times that we had come together, we'd find one person in this room and somebody over here, and there would be dinner. And I don't know, I guess I do now, but I didn't know at the time why. My name, Jeffrey, means uh, peacemaker. And, and I do, I... I, I, I I want peace, but I don't want just any peace. I want God's peace. And yet I would find myself being told, go get so-and-so in that room and go get so-and-so in that room and bring them all to the dinner table. Do you know what that was like for a kid? It, it, was, it was horrific because I love this one and I love this one and I love this one. And it just hurts so much to see them at odds with each other. And we would do this. This is the way we did things. Fortunately, as time went on, we did better and, and worked through a lot of stuff. But there was still an underlying tension. And I can't imagine God wanting us to live this way. And I can't imagine anybody wanting to join us in that kind of environment or today join the church being a part of a body that's divided, that's critical or judgmental. Because there's so much more when we're united. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, it goes into verse 2, and it seems like it's just kind of out from left field. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Does anybody have any idea what that's about? Who was Aaron? Brother of Moses, correct. But who, what was his role in Israel? The high priest, Right? He was the one that went in one time a year into the Holy of Holies to present a sacrifice so that Israel and God could stay united. And for him to do that, he was anointed. Now, I want you to see this because this is really important. When it says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity, it's saying, dwelling together in unity is like 
the anointing oil that ran down Aaron the high priest that caused that unity to be with God covering over the sins. Now, I want you to know when revival comes, there's anointing that comes with it. And without unity, there's no anointing. So how important is revival to you? And I'm asking every one of us, you at home, how important is it? Is it more important than the unforgiveness and the bitterness and, and the hurts you continue to hold against somebody else? Or is revival more important? Because you have to make that decision because you're going to determine whether you're going to be a part of the revival or a part aside from the revival. Because God's going to have revival. But not everybody's going to be involved in it. We make the choice. God doesn't make that choice. You and I do. By whether we're going to let things go and choose to walk in love and forgive as freely and fully as we've been forgiven or we're going to hold on to stuff which is going to hinder us from the anointing, from the revival, and from walking in the things of God. It goes on to say it's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. For there, what does there point to? For where? Where is it pointing to? What's it referring to? Where brethren dwell together in unity. That's what it's pointing back to. For there, where brethren dwell together in unity. Not visit unity. They choose to endeavor to keep, do, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Where there's unity, people dwelling together in the unity of God, God has commanded. When God commands something, does it happen? Absolutely, you can be assured of that. So God's going to have his way. Where people are united, there's an anointing. God commands this blessing, which is life everlasting. Life forevermore. Isn't that the goal of revival? Revival, God has his way. God's people come together and people are reached and their lives are changed for eternity. They have everlasting life. But without unity, there's no anointing. There's no everlasting life there because there's division where the enemy is working the bible says where there's strife and envy there's every evil work you can't have the flow of god in every evil work we got to choose do we want what we want or do we want what god has and and make the decision and take the action that aligns with it it's amazing you know in in some of the other translations uh, it says this, that's where, talking about the people living together in unity, God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. The new life version uh, says it this way, for there the Lord has given the gift of life that lasts forever. You can be assured, we don't have to do any gyrations or anything. We just have to be united with God choose to endeavor to keep, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace with one another, the anointing of God begins to flow. The Bible says where the anointing is that burdens are removed and yokes are broken. That's what God has. But will we, will we value that more than our perspective is somebody else. Our criticalness, our disagreements. 
I can't answer that question for anybody but me. But I can tell you that when we look at the vision and we think, I've got a right, I've got a right, they did this and I've got a right to be mad at them, I've got a right not to forgive them, I've got a right to devalue them. I don't think we realize how serious this is to God. And I struggled with this. I told John, I'm not sure, you know, whether I'm going to use this scripture today or, or not, but I felt like God said, you got to share this. And I'm sharing this with you because I love you. I'm sharing this with you because I want this in my life. I don't want, I don't want to do things that God hates. I don't do, want to do what God sees as an abomination. When you hear the word abomination, what does that kind of bring to mind? Gross sin. You know, I've, I've had ideas in my mind, and I've seen in Scripture things that God calls an abomination, but this was not one of them. I was, I was, I've been overwhelmed, and I've been heartbroken over it because I've been involved in causing division. And I've asked God, God, please, I know you can redeem to the uttermost. You can work it for good, and you can work it all out. But where I've divided people, please, Please bring healing. In Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19, it says this. These six things the Lord hates. Man, we ought to take notice of this. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now look at these. A proud look. Well, that's pride. It's, it's feeling superior. And how often do we get tempted to feel superior to somebody else? when they don't agree with us and we think our, our ways are better, our ways are right. Folks, be careful. Be careful, be careful. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to, in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Man, I have to tell you that I see where, you know, that pride, that lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift running to evil, and a false witness who speaks lies. I can see how God hates that. But God doesn't just hate the last one. That's the one he points to and says, this is an abomination to me. I don't know about anybody else. I don't want to be doing things that are an abomination to God. In the message translation, uh, verse 16 says this, here are six things the Lord hates and one he loathes with passion. And then in the passion translation, verse six, 16 says, there are six things that God truly hates and the seventh that is an abomination to him. And every bit of it is pointing the things that he hates are preceding the one that is an abomination to him. And I don't think any of God's children, any of us, would ever want to do anything, number one, that he hates. Because understand this, the reason why God hates what he hates is because of the destruction that it brings. But I definitely don't want to do what is an abomination to him. And why, why, why? Because there's such power 
in unity. Unity is the gateway for revival. Uniting with God and uniting with one another, and yet the enemy is working so masterfully to keep us divided over the most seemingly important and yet insignificant things. I shared this with you before, Matthew 12, 25. It says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to, what's it say? Desolation. That word desolation means to make a wilderness, to lay waste, to be desolate, solitary, or lonesome. Adam, God, Eve, all of a sudden, there's division, and he is isolated. They are isolated. That, that division spills over not just to Adam and Eve. It spills over to Cain and Abel. It results in murder. It continues on, and this division is destroying not just our society, not just our world, not just our country, not just our state, not just our community, but it's destroying the church because we're allowing it. I'm allowing it. You're allowing it. To whatever degree, we are not choosing to make every effort to be united over the most important thing. And what is the most important thing? Jesus. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the Son of God. And I'm going to tell you this. The only way the world's going to know that Jesus is the Son of God is because we're united. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? I've been taught the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And that's what we hear because he was teaching his disciples how to pray. But I want you to know the longest prayer the Lord ever prayed that's recorded in the Bible is not that. And many scholars say what we find in the scriptures, this really is the Lord's prayer because it's what he prayed. He prayed for you and you and you and those that are coming and those that were all his people that were, were coming to the body of Christ, he prayed for. And he said, if you'll be united, they'll know I'm the Son of God. So in fact, if that's true, if, if our unity convinces the world that he's the Son of God, then our disunity convinces the world that he's not. And that's why, you know, sometimes... Sometimes it's, it's tough for people to read me. Um, I don't know why it happens, but it does that <clears throat> sometimes people think I'm angry. And, and I want you to know today, I'm not angry. What I am is I'm passionate. I am so wanting. I don't know Recent, in recent times that I've wanted anything more than this in my life. And in the body of Christ, to, to see unity really begin. Been talking to some other pastors in town, pastors across the country, and uh, 
And I, I, I've told God, I, I don't care how, where, what you want me. As long as we have Jesus as Lord, I'm willing to connect. I, I, I want to be united. I, you know what? There are people that don't believe the way I believe. Do you believe that? I believe in speaking in tongues. I read it in the Bible. I do it every day. There are some people that don't want to be around me because I do that. Okay. I, but I want to be around them. It doesn't matter if you don't agree with me. I'm not going to force you. I know that my life personally benefits from this. I read it in the Bible, and you know what? I'm going to get to, to heaven and find out I've, I've got some of this stuff wrong. And you're going to get to heaven, and you're going to find out you got some of this stuff wrong. So why don't we just make the minors minors and major on the major? Major on God, on Jesus. Because that's what we have to do. Or we're going to be brought to desolation because we're divided. Or every city or house divided against itself won't stand. It won't be firm. It won't be established. It won't be upright or active. So how do we do this? How do we do this with people that are different than us? What does the Bible tell us? What does God's word tell us how we ought to act with people that don't believe the way we believe as far as the minors? I'm not saying people that, that think Jesus was a prophet or he was a good guy. No, Jesus is the son of God. He died for the sins of the world. That is the issue. Anything that doesn't gel with that and mesh with that, I can't be united with. I can love them, but I can't be united with them. So in the book of Romans, you know, it was written to the church at Rome. Oh, you guys. And one of the things about the letter that, that was written to the church at Rome, it wasn't written to one body of believers. There were a variety of, of fellowships that this was written to. And, and these fellowships were, were mixed up in some ways. There were Jews and Gentiles. And you know what? God loves that. God loves diversity. And, and our society today is really pressing back when people are diverse. Everybody wants people to be just like them. And yet the diversity that our society is pushing for is really founded in uniformity. If you're not like me, I have no need for you. You can be a little different, but don't be too different. But the way God has it, there is unity in diversity. There's a celebration of difference, and there is a need for all that are different. A long, as long as we're lined up with God. I'm not saying that we can embrace everything that our society is embracing, and we need to do everything and celebrate everything our society is celebrating. If it's not what God celebrates, we can't. We can love them, but we can't celebrate that and unite with it. But in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, in the message translation, it says this. Welcome with open arm, fellow believers who, what? Don't see the things the way you do? No way. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. So we're supposed to open arm welcome those that don't agree with us, those that don't 
do the same things that we do, see things the same way we see them. Is that the way, you know, I just have to say it. I don't see the church doing this. I, I've been, I have been reading things, and I don't go online a lot because, unfortunately, a lot of things that are going on online are not tending to unity. They're tending to division. They're tending to destruction. They're tending to be uh, critical and judgmental and condemning. And I, I'm just going to ask you, you here, you at home, before you speak, before you text, before you email, before you post, before you blog, before you do any of that, ask yourself, is it loving? Is it what, would I say this in the presence of Jesus about his creation? Because if you wouldn't, don't. But I'm reading more and more. And I read one just last night before I left here after praying and studying. This was online. Yesterday I told you I spoke to someone who was contemplating ending their life. Do you know that this is happening more often than it ever has? People are feeling more desperate, more isolated, uh, more fearful than ever before and seeing that the only way out. How hopeless is that? And God is the God of all hope. Obviously, they're not seeing God in a lot of people or places. But listen to this. Today they're alive. But they said they decided to pull back from the church. They felt their church was the cause of a lot of their pain. I'm brokenhearted. The church should be healing us, not killing us. Now, I, I want you to know this was not somebody that posted this from our church. But it nonetheless was posted about the church, about how somebody feels. I read another one. The person said, you know, I just don't feel like I fit anywhere in the church that nobody cares about me. I think this is more widespread than we would ever want to believe. I have fallen prey to the enemy at times and his lies and felt like I don't belong. It's not true. And I've worked through it. But I'm telling you, the enemy will go after every one of us with this. Nobody cares. I'm, I'm alone. Folks, you're not alone. And there should never be that sense by anyone in a body of Jesus' followers. It doesn't matter what it says out in front on the sign. If we love Jesus, we need to love one another. Treat them gently. They don't agree with you. But who said you're right? In the same chapter, verse 10 in the Amplified, it says this. Why do you criticize and pass judgment on your brother? 
or you? Why do you look down upon and despise your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. The only one, the only one that's going to be able to judge is God. I have no business judging anybody else. And if I'm going to share truth, it's because I love them and I'm trying to help them. But I cannot control, I cannot push, I cannot demand, I cannot uh, coerce anyone. I have to trust them to God. We have to trust each other to God. We need to be there for each other, but we, we have to stop judging each other. And in verse 4, it says this. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? I asked this in the first service. I'm going to ask it here. Do you realize that, that I, I am not your servant? Do you know who I'm here to serve? The same one you're here to serve, and that's God. We're here to serve God. And, and yet, one of the things that happens is we come in and we think, well, you know, Shelby and Gabe and whoever else is up here, they better have their stuff together because if they don't, the service isn't going to go the way it should, which is true. Okay, I want you to know that's true. It won't go completely the way it should. But every one of you brings something here. And how you come here affects what goes on here. You know, Debbie and I, years ago, um, when we were living in Mississippi, uh, we would drive to church and, and, you know, we would argue at times all the way to church. And we get in church and we smile. We sing and raise our hands. We greet people. But that division that we brought hindered what God wanted to do. Because I'm not just the only one anointed. Shelby, Gabe aren't the only ones anointed. Every one of you is anointed to bring to this service, and you at home, bring to this service what God has. And so we took care of that. We don't argue anymore. I drive my car, she drives her car. <laughs> Honey, I love you. <laughs> no, we, we, we have learned how to disagree agreeably, how to value each other, even when we don't see the things the same because we've learned something. I want you to all look at me. Okay, I'm going to take my glasses off for this. I can't see you, but you can see me. How many eyes do I have? Why? It's the way God designed me, but what does that do for me? It gives me depth perception. It helps me to see a little bit different that gives me a fuller picture. I want you to understand that not any of us here see everything. All of us see something. And we can add to the fuller picture as we each bring what we have. And we need each other. We need each other. We're not going to see things exactly the same. And God celebrates that diversity. And we should too. God values that diversity. And we should too. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? We're all servants of God. There's only one Lord in our lives. And it's not somebody other than the Lord. Their own master will judge them whether they stand or fall. Very true. But look at this. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. That's what God's after. 
God wants to help lift everybody to be able to stand so we'll receive his approval. Where he could just say, man, you guys are a lost cause. I don't need you. But God loves us. God's been willing to unite with us in all our frailties, flaws, and failures so that as we unite with him, our lives become what God intended. And as we unite with him, we become united with each other. And as we unite with each other, we begin to reach a world that needs to see the unity and the anointing and the revival that God has. And it's all because of God who's love. And it's love that lubricates and continues to empower and enable us to unite. We're, we're going to look at this. We're going to see one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible and see what it says about unity and how it is. It is the linchpin. It is the foundation. It is the most important aspect of our ability to reach people for Christ. And that's why we are living in a time because revival is coming and we're living in a time that the enemy has pulled out all the stops to bring as many divisions as there are people so that we can be divided and the power of God and the purpose of God won't be fulfilled in those that allow division to be a priority before, above God's unity. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. From the very beginning, God, God had designed the earth to be a place that was a paradise. And it was a paradise because there is a unity, not a uniformity. There was such diversity in what God made. And yet in the diversity, there is a unity where, again, it's going to happen. But it, since sin came and brought division, it says that in the future when God has his way, the lion will lay down with the lamb. That there will be unity. There will be this setting at one again, this peace. But God enables us as followers of Jesus, the prince of peace, to be able to be united with him and then united in the body. Where we're not alone. We're not standing alone. We're not fighting alone. We're not celebrating alone. We're not doing life alone. We're doing it in a family, not a dysfunctional family, a family where love is the way of life. And if you've never, never experienced that, never turned to Christ and, and repented, turned back to God and been re reunited with him, then I, I want to offer you that opportunity today, whether you're here in the sanctuary, whether you're at home, um, I'm going to pray a prayer today that would cause us to reaffirm our connection with God, our unity with God, but also to be connected with God if we never have. So I'm going to invite all of us to pray together. If you would just follow me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world lived a sinless life, went to the cross as an innocent man and died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. 
and was raised victorious and glorious. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent. I turn to you to trust in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Govern me, guide me, and guard me from this day forward. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer today, either here or at home, let somebody know. If you're at home, let us know. Go to the website, reslifeny.org, and, and uh, scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed so we can be praying for you. If you want us to pray for you by name, leave your name. If you want us to contact you, leave some sort of information, we can contact you. Um, a couple of things before you leave.